All right. Hey, so Matt, Matt, Matt Kimball, we're, we're, uh, we're here with some friends from Penguin Computing. We have Kevin Tubbs on a couple of weeks ago, or maybe a couple of months ago, talking about HPC and what's going on. But he's joined by, uh, well, we have him back, right? And he's joined by uh, Penguin's Chief Strategy Officer, Matt Jacobs. Uh, welcome, guys, to the podcast. Hello. What, oh, thanks for having me. What's going on? What's going on at Penguin? Why are we talking to you guys? Well, outside of the obvious things, we could talk about <laughs> strategy. So, um, no, at Penguin, we've been obviously really busy. You know, we've got a, a, a two-decade history of being involved in the HPC space. And, and what we're doing now at Penguin is sort of tracking on a handful of trends in the market and uh, and sort of reshaping our product portfolio uh, to, to get us out in front of those. And so we're seeing a handful of things, uh, Steve. We're seeing um, the first of those is sort of the hardware abstraction, right? We're seeing the users kind of pick up off the off the hardware layer. You know, in the HPC space, we've been you know, creating centralized clusters for you know, over a decade, maybe 15 years now. And in the enterprise space, it's happened around virtualization. Um, but what we're seeing is there's an increasing need to get closer to the application layer with our solutions so that we can um, effectively communicate and help our, our customers sort of grow their capabilities on the application side as they move in that direction. Um, we're seeing another big trend, uh, which is around uh, hardware complexity, right? And so we're seeing the waning of Moore's law. And the industry answer to that, frankly, has been specialization. And uh, that specialization has been coming in sort of two vectors, one on the hardware side, right? We're seeing it, um, you know, in the on the processing side, we're seeing a lot of specialization in the storage areas with even you know, new, new realms of storage being created around flash with the commoditization of the pricing and, uh, and then the software-defined architectures that are coming along with that. And so the software-defined architectures are driving the other half of it, right? I mean, it's not the same as just picking up a, a black box widget um, as it's been in the IT space for a long time, right? If you wanna leverage these technologies that are largely being created um, for or on behalf of or inside of uh, the hypersteel organizations, it takes a little more skill, right? You've got to know how to okay. select things. I'm, yeah, go. I'm, I'm going to jump in. What is, so when we're talking about, and I'm coming this from a little bit of position of ignorance. I'm not a, 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 you know, I understand servers and storage and enterprise compute and all of the things around that. HPC, uh, you know, I, I touch only occasionally, right? So when you talk about software-defined, in an HPC context, what are we really talking about? Can you give an example? We're, yeah, we're talking about software-defined the same as we would in an enterprise context. Okay. See, really, it's, it's just leveraging those technologies in the HPC space and scale out for AI as well. Um, but we're talking largely about software-defined storage. And, and really, this is the, the space of Kevin and his team and our solutions group. Uh, but largely software-defined storage, but also um, around uh, cloud technologies. And so... Uh, so really getting uh, our users the ability to migrate workloads um, organically. Um, our customers are starting to see um, their compute rather than sort of this dichotomy between on-premises and cloud, they're starting to see it as a spectrum, a continuum. And so that's hard to do if you don't have the software stack to allow you to do it. You need to be able to move freely between the on-premises and a hybrid approach and definitely a multi-cloud approach. So, so Matt, Matt and Kevin, with that said, um, you see these trends kind of moving toward, you know, the you know understanding that there, there are specializations and complexities in hardware, abstraction of hardware from software. You know, what is what's Penguin's response to that? You have a long history in the HP, HPC space. You have a, a long history in, in actually quite a few spaces. 
what you know what's what's this big news that you have for us that um that um you'd like to kind of let our listeners know about yeah no definitely so one of the things that um we're doing to approach that is uh as i said we're trying to get in front of the capabilities enablement um so it's, it's very hard to uh talk to a customer engage with customers in the market and deliver what they're looking for uh, if we're just focused on storage, networking, disk, CPUs. And some of the challenges that they're seeing require you to understand you know, some level of the application space, but more importantly, that uh, ability to tie all these different emerging technologies together. And as Matt stated with software-defined architectures, uh, we just find that that's the natural evolution and growth to do that efficiently. Um, good examples with software-defined storage as well as software-defined memory. You create this abstraction layer from <clears throat> both the orchestration and management, but also a workload enablement such that you can deploy a platform that delivers AI capabilities. And inside of that AI capabilities, there's a lot of different things and var variations along the data pipeline that require different performance requirements. And so there's no one silver bullet or one big appliance that solves it all. It has to be a uh, flexible and agile technology platform, which from one side is software and from the other tends to be specialized uh, hardware. So one example there would be um, persistent memory. We're starting to see a, a trend in using uh, persistent memory and different technologies to kind of blur the gap between memory speed, um, workloads, as well as needing data services and storage. Um, and as you do that, you in, insert a new level of technology that is hard or maybe hard to assimilate and integrate into the IT infrastructure quickly. So what you have uh, in response to that is the introduction of software-defined memory or virtualization <laughs> technologies that allow you to uh, basically bend your workloads and app applications so you don't have to rewrite them every time a new piece of hardware comes out. And then what that does to the hardware side is allows you to build on the technology and take in, uh, advantage of it as it exists today but also as it uh, matures and changes over the next six months, 12 months, 18 months, you're able to protect that software and application investment and take advantage of the best technology at the best time. So that's kind of the high level trend that we're seeing and how we're aggregating our response to it um, with our solution space of developing these key technology practices. Um, our four key technology practices are uh, data technologies, cloud native technologies, um, high performance computing technologies and artificial intelligence and analytics technologies. Hey, before, so, before we talk about, I'm gonna cut you off Kimball because he said something that I wanna probe on. So this may be a little tangential. We talked about the use of persistent memory uh, in HPC. Um, before we talk about your practice, I just wanna probe on that a little bit. Where are you seeing uh, that technology deployed? When you say persistent memory, are you talking about uh, obtaining a dim slot, the byte addressable uh, set of technologies. Are you talking about, uh, you know, 
uh, 3D cross point in an SSD slot. What are people using for system memory for in HPC or within? So in the context that we see now, and it's applied to HPC as well as um, any really latency sensitive workloads. So think real-time workloads, um, high frequency, high performance trading, as well as um, artificial intelligence and uh, machine learning. But we're seeing that in, uh, in the DEM slot byte uh, addressable area. And that's basically allowing the applications to have larger spaces, uh, memory spaces and footprints to speed up that acceleration. And by doing so with persistent memory in the uh, inter-optate memory DEM or point, but applied in the DEM uh, form factor allows you to expand that memory space, but not necessarily um, lose the memory speeds. And then the added benefit on top of that is the ability to add data services into an area that's traditionally non-volatile um, and what that does for the workloads um, kind of opens up your capabilities and your ideas of how to accelerate um, different workloads and uh, you know speed up time to discover our insight. Got it. Got it. Got it. Hey, so you talked about uh, you talked about what the the uh, four key technology practices that Penguin's embracing. Uh, what does that mean? What do you, how does that, uh, uh, what are you doing new and different that's helping your customers along kind of those four axes? So there we're, we're picking those key areas um, just because we're seeing when you reach up into the application space and, and go out work with, say, AI inferencing, um, when you get there and you need to be able to accelerate it, it's no longer a function of just what type of compute you're using. It's a function of the specialized compute, the specialized networking, the actual data flow and pipeline, all the way through to where it's deployed um, in a data center optimized or being able to be deployed on premises or cloud. So all of our practices are geared toward having specialization or focus in these key uh, pillars, but in a way that they can <laughs> solve specific problems, say, how do I ingest AI data fast enough, but also how do I save that data um, at, a, at larger and larger capacities over time? So one, I need to be able to speed it up to serve accelerated compute from things like GPUs and specialized ASICs. And then as I do that AI training and the AI model development and operate on larger data sets, I also have to save that data um, for longer periods of time. So you may have capacities going up into petabytes and exabytes. So the data practices um, allow you, or the different practices allow us to focus on key new technology areas that are moving, <coughs> but also build them and deploy them in a way that goes up into the capabilities. Got it. So from a, from a kind of customer perspective, Four areas, are you talking about, um, so you're gonna deliver kind of solutions and subject matter experts that help deploy those solutions quickly. For, for, I'm thinking about this, if I'm an enterprise and I call it Penguin and I say, um, I'm interested in, you know, you have a cloud native practice, um, help me kind of 
move from where I am to this more cloud native environment, you know, through containers, microservices. You have a, a solution that you, you can ship to me and a, a SME, a subject matter guy or, or a woman that comes along and helps me deploy that more quickly and kind of reach, you know, value, extract value from that solution faster. What is it, what exactly does, does, does it mean when you say you have these four practices? What's, how, what's that turn into for, for, you know, kind of real world services and products? Yeah. It's, it's really a packaging effort, frankly, right? It's a packaging, testing, solidifying, um, these technologies that are a little bit inaccessible, as Kevin pointed out. And so, yes, there's a discovery piece. Uh, well, way ahead of that, there's a packaging piece, right? So we have built a very large lab. Um, Kevin's building up a very large team of subject matter experts, as you mentioned. Um, and we're leveraging our knowledge of the business. We're leveraging the trends that we're seeing in the market with our existing customers and the convergence of all of that to put together solutions that we will be able to um, help supply our customers over a longer period of time. They're modular. Um, so that as, as technologies shift, you know, we can layer in new technologies or augment the practice with additional um, capabilities uh, around emerging technologies. It's really about that, though. Um, so making these technologies accessible, uh, shortening time to adoption, right? Um, and then uh, building a support chain behind those that currently is absent in the market today, right? I mean, it's really difficult. I'll give you a really good example. Um, one of our financial services customers. Um, we engage them on a totally separate topic around compute. And in those discussions, we discovered that they had um, a big need uh, around software-defined storage. Not only did they have a big need, uh, but at the same time, they had a forward architecture team that was handing over a lot of different uh, software-defined technologies that they were trying to get their internal IT teams to test and deploy for them. And it turned out, you know, what we're seeing in the market, there was a big disconnect and the internal IT team uh, frankly, was at a loss of how to even procure them, to build them, to tune, as Kevin stated, you know, the software and the hardware to go together. Um, and then if they got all that right, uh, you know, how do they deploy it? How do they support it? And so uh, we were able to come in. They had seven technologies on their whiteboard. This is a true story. Um, seven technologies on their whiteboard. We were able to walk in, look at their workloads within one meeting and discard six of them. And we would recommend one that we had already tested. We could show them numbers. We could show them how it worked. We were able to show them a reference architecture that they could readily you know, build and deploy um, and support. And so that shortened their time to adoption significantly if, if, if maybe it just gave them the, the complete ability you know, to even um, engage you know, their users and give them what they needed. So it's that sort of thing. I hope that helps. It does. So if I may, I guess cloud native is maybe a, a too broad of an example, but let's say it's, um, you can talk about AI, right? Because it's probably the most, it's what everybody's talking about. It's where there's the least amount of expertise within the organizations, right? Everybody seems to struggle with getting kind of the right talent in to stand up AI solutions. So you go into a customer and um, you sit down, you do that whiteboarding session. I mean, there are a variety of, of you know, there, there's machine learning, there are all these different kind of elements to AI. There are different frameworks that can be deployed within the organization. Um, you know, and of course, there are different hardware platforms that are specialized depending on, you know, kind of where you are in your AI deployment. Um, does, does Penguin go in and recommend a, you know, is it, is it kind of like we'll support any framework that you're going to be deploying within your organization? 
Um, and by the way, we've tested all these frameworks against our different hardware platforms um, and different accelerators. You know, we know which accelerator works best with, with which framework, et cetera, et cetera. And then go and stand it up for you. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, I think that's it in a, um, at, at, a, at a very base approach. I think what we try to do from the application and workload perspective is deliver best practices and experience. And that's always growing from uh, the breadth of customer sets. So it's not necessarily, um, we, for, we focus on that core platform that would enable it. So we understand which workloads and which frameworks you're using. And we also understand that we don't wanna silo the discussions we're having with that end user. You want the end user in the same room with the IT specialist with the data center specialist. And that's kind of our key approach. You know, you can't really have this environment or capability conversation without putting everybody at the table. Um, a very good example was uh, even if your security team, you know, all of the AI workflows and all of the flows are very data centric, more data. You wanna actually have a lot of data, but that into an enterprise environment um, requires a lot more security and a lot more interest. So we in interest on security. So there you have to make sure that you engage at different levels of the IT organization, bring everybody to the table, but also present a, um, a an approach or path that allows you to walk from application to uh, core software architecture and infrastructure down to what type of specialized compute and networking at the core, down to the whatever data input that you have, and then where it's being um, deployed or how it's been deployed. And then when you can get through that, you kind of have a pathway to modularly move things around left and right based on each individual stakeholder's uh, feedback. But having that full holistic approach to delivering the capability is key to what we've developed as a um, approach and success with our um, a lot of our early adopter customers in AI and ML and customers that are doing AI and ML as well as traditional uh, HPC as well as their traditional enterprise business analytics. So it's really converging all of these different stakeholders into a common approach or pathway that allows us to deliver the right technology efficiently. So in an area like HPC, where there's, I mean, you know, there's so many different kind of verticals that it plays into, and, you know, there's so many different characteristics, you know, within HPC, right, depending on, you know, who the company, depending on, you know, what you're trying to achieve, right, is, is are you, are you saying that um, in the HPC world, you're supporting every single HPC workload out there, are you focusing specifically on, certain workload characteristics or certain verticals or, you know, financial trading is a lot different than what they do at some of these national labs, right? I mean, so you just kind of, is it supporting everybody or? Yeah, as a, at a whole, we support everybody. And, and the approach with the uh, lab development and reference architectures, we do believe it may be cliche, but it is really 80-20. So you can focus on having a very robust uh, plan for HPC, a robust plan for AI and ML, a robust plan for cloud-native Kubernetes that at its core, 80% is vetted, pre-tested, 
And then from there, we can get into the conversations that you have uh, life science specific um, feedback and uh, optimization. That's that last 25, 20% that we can optimize to based on conversations and workloads. And then we can do the same thing for financial services. But at its core, the building blocks um, are the same, very similar. And as long as you have a good foundation and approach, you can then take the feedback loop from the specific vertical or from the customer interest and even from an emerging technology vector and then push that back down through uh, that foundation. But at any given time, uh, it's easier for us and I think to deliver to the customer responsibly because at that following that approach, we can go 10 degrees left and right optimizing on things that are only specific to a vertical or specific to that current business objective. Um, and I think that's the best approach because these emerging technologies change very fast and you can't just have that many variables and, and it gets um, hard to consume and fathom how to deliver it. So kind of the engagement process, um, ability to have leadership and do the testing up front and we're also working with a um, um, large amount of technology providers. So we're able to get the new technologies out front, make them safe and test it, which speeds up their adoption. And I think that's the real kind of value add we're bringing to the market. Okay. So like if I'm a, if I'm a um, financial services company and I want to do high speed trading, right there, an application I use, um, I come to Penguin and there's a certain level of confidence I have that you've taken this application and this, and you've kind of, you, you've found a, what looks like a fairly optimized hardware platform. You look at my specific needs, do some tweaking for that, for my specific needs, and then deliver me an all up solution. Um, this might be, this might be, not the best example because most financial services organizations are already adopted, but just trying to kind of translate it into, you know, what an IT person out there would be, would be looking for. Um, you assess my needs, you have a solution on the back end, you tweak it based on my specific needs, deploy it, um, get me up and, you know, scan me up, get me running and away we go, right? Um, happily ever after. That's essentially what you're, you're saying on the HPC front. I mean, but I just, I, cause I just think, you know, Financial services is different than weather modeling, which is different than crash test analysis. I mean, there's so many different applications and, and workloads. I'm trying to better understand kind of what level of optimization, you know, kind of comes out of your labs and into my into my data. System. This is a really good question. So what we focused on with the four practices, and I think Kevin was sort of hitting on this a moment ago, is is recognizing big technological trends in the market right, that have to be serviced and that are ubiquitous across all scale out and research compute, including AI. So that, that was really the mindset. And so as you mentioned before, you have HPC, AI, data technologies, um, and then cloud technologies. And so, so these are meant to be um, combinable uh, into architectures mm -hmm. that are relevant for vertical market needs and then all the way to application needs, if that makes sense. So. Um, as an example, within our data practice, you have uh, Kevin's team's created three, basically, tiers, right? And so we have um, this big mermaid tier, and we have a flash tier, and we have a capacity tier. And I'm simplifying here for the sake of, of example, 
Um, so those are all within that vertical are frequently deployed together, actually, right? But then they can be combined with um, some of the architectures and our artificial intelligence tier, right? And so those would be combined in a complete workflow, as Kevin just mentioned. And so what happens is that we build the, the practices and the reference architectures within around uh, the trends that are either um, present in our customer base today or we know will be in the immediate future. And then we're sitting down with them in a very consultative approach, as Kevin just stated, and you sort of outlined as well, um, to build the right complete architecture for them end to end using these reference architectures as building blocks. That helps. And the lab exists to help us if there are applications that we have not yet tested, we can do that, right? We can bring that workload in and test it and give real world numbers against you know, the variety of technologies that we're offering uh, to help. That's, that's good. You guys both articulated that very well. Let me ask you this, um, and it's going to seem like either a really stupid question or a, well, another really stupid question or another really redundant question. But how does this differ from, I've always thought of Penguin as a very kind of consultive approach to, you know, kind of needs discovery and solution development and selling in the first place. How does this how does this differ from what you've been doing or is this more of a codification of kind of what you've been doing? It builds on it, right? Um, okay. up, until, uh, up until this point, up until this sort of shift for our company, we've, as you stated, largely been a build order company, right? And, and that has a powerful and unique need in the market. It's been great for us, um, but we're starting to see some of these trends we talked about earlier, you know, the, the, the cloudification of the user, the complexity in the hardware, uh, these are things that uh, come above uh, really what we've been doing as a company for a while. And we have the capability. We do this every day, right? We sit down with customers and we, and we, and we architect them in a way that we've just described to you. Um, but this differs in the fact that it builds on top of the table stakes, which is you have to know this hardware cold. You have to understand these open technologies. You have to understand these emerging technologies. That's the foundation upon which we build the solutions practice. So um, I, I view it as sort of evolutionary really for us um, and really sort of leading out in the market, which is a, a little different for us, which we're excited about. Do you have a way of, this, this again is probably gonna sound like a stupid question, but you know, as far as, you know, it sounds like everything you're doing is helping your customers and potential customers shorten that time to value, right? From, I wanna deploy this to, I'm getting something out of this, uh, this thing I deployed. Have you done any kind of estimates around how much faster, quicker, more efficient your customers are going to be based on this kind of shift in your approach to, to supporting them? It's a really good question and it's very difficult to quantify. We are working on those types of figures. Um, it depends, there's so many variables, honestly. I mean, it, it really depends on uh, where the customer is, what they're trying to do uh, and how they need to do it, right? I mean, if we build, um, Let's take an example as a multinational organization who is um, using HPC um, and AI, sort of HPC maybe is a standard for them and AI is something new. Um, you know, I'll give you a real world example. We did this, Kevin's team did this for um, uh, one of our larger customers. And so they're using uh, HPC. They wanted to have uh, an HPC pipeline that was data driven. And the objective here is two, two, twofold, right? So yeah, HPC questions we ask in a broad funnel, right? And so then we 
go about parametrically narrowing down uh, the, the way we pose the question to the resource. Um, AI and data analytics give us the ability to pipeline that, right? So that you can narrow uh, the scope of the initial questions we ask of the batch HPC system. So building out that capability from a Hadoop to an AI to an HPC um, and having that pipelineable um, is infinitely by. I mean, it speeds up time to discovery uh, uh, tenfold more depending on what you're doing. Um, so, you know, the next trick to your question is putting a number on that. Uh, same holds true for the cloud technologies. Um, if we can take an organization who has uh, multiple millions of dollars worth of research computing footprint distributed across the globe, and we can layer on, um, you know, a virtualization and containerization orchestration layer on that, um, and then we have uh, another product um, uh, reference architecture, which allows users to address that full spectrum of compute and storage targets, as well as cloud resources under one tool. Um, the value of that is immense, right? Because they're all addressed in this dichotomy today of on-premises and cloud, and, and they really are a continuum. And when users start to see that compute as a continuum, it absolutely speeds up the whole research process and time to market. So. Um, it's a little too varied to give you a single answer. It's a fantastic question. And on the marketing side, it's one that we wrestle with over here as well. So great question. Yeah, no, I, yeah, it, I, I think it's almost impossible to, to assign a number to that. Um, but we know it's it's large orders of magnitude. And yeah, yeah. Hey, but before we wrap up, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about uh, maybe broader trends that you're seeing around the HPC market or within your customer base. Uh, I'm, finally catching up on all the slides from NVIDIA's GTC conference. And this week is, is Kubicon and Cloud Native. Uh, and it seems like there's a push, maybe from the NVIDIA side of the world, to really containerize HPC uh, and, and treat it as a container-driven pipeline. How much are you seeing containers uh, you know, starting to insert themselves into HPC workloads and workflows? No, I definitely see that as the case. I think containerization uh, for multiple reasons has become um, kind of the center of not only HPC, but technical compute. Uh, you mentioned NVIDIA and, and that's highly driven on the AI workloads. That would have been driven mostly by the constant development of the model frameworks and model tools. Um, a lot of what you see from a end user data science perspective, they're changing algorithms and models. And even over the last uh, two to three years, you've seen the Cambrian explosion of types of models um, from just deep learning to different types of um, different types of models and different types of networks. So as all those things grow, they put a lot of pressure on the ability to um, iteratively change your models and workloads and support software that changes very quickly. So that's the need, one need for the containerization approach. Um, you look at other HPC or traditional HPC workloads like life sciences and genomics. A lot of the work here relies on repeatability and the ability to um, document and identify different approaches, different data sources. So containers actually help you there as well. See that uh, as HPC is growing and technical compute is growing, you have different vectors, but they're all being centered around how do I use containers to include uh, increase software architecture portability, but also it's a mechanism for 
allowing different data sources and different data techniques to be able to access uh, the same data. So a good example following what my, um, Matt discussed earlier was we have customers that are traditional HPC, uh, very well versed in that, and they're bringing in these data scientists and they wanna be able to work on the same data sets and common problems. And uh, AI and ML or Hadoop and some traditional analytics have been traditionally siloed, but we're seeing even that technology can move into an, uh, a Hadoop 2.0 and 3.0 starts to look exactly like HPC does. You have disaggregated compute from network attached storage uh, infrastructures or data infrastructures. So this allows us to be able to bring that to a way or a platform that I can use um, software, highly quickly changing software and interactions with data sources from Kubernetes and other containerization uh, profiles and then interact with that data. And what this really allows both uh, HPC and AI analytics to become first-class citizens. And then that enables collaboration and then turned around to increase uh, time to value or decrease time to value. Got it. Got it. Hey, so you guys have given us, uh, you give us a lot to digest. It's been a great conversation. Um, thank you both for coming on the podcast and uh, uh, this exciting hey, stuff. for having us. It's always good to catch up with you guys and, uh, Hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah. Be great to back on in a couple of quarters and um, talk about kind of the progress you've made and what you've seen as you've kind of made the shift with customers and you know, some of the examples you have of, uh, you know, kind of that improved efficiency, yeah. if you will, on their side. Yeah, that, that would be good. I mean, I think what we're seeing, right, as we look across the industries, we're seeing more enterprise adoption of these technologies and workloads in a way that you know, maybe didn't exist a decade ago. And it's not just about AI, it's about HPC uh, for sure, right? So uh, we're in the right place. And, and it looks like you're doing some really interesting things to stay there. Yeah, so well, we appreciate the validation. It's always good to get a external perspective, honestly. You know, we're sitting here forging a path that if you look around the market, nobody's really doing this yet, so... All right. Excellent. So that wraps up another podcast. We'll do it again next week.